Welcome to Indefensive Humanity. I am Ostris Oz Miller, the host of Indefensive Humanity. Today I'm actually in the woods, or rather at my house in a part of Georgia. I don't really want to tell you which part because one of you might come and, you know, be like my boy from you. So I'm kind of scared. But anywho, I am joined today by a very special guest, one of my good friends. His name is Manus Balagamir. He is the motion from the ocean, the man from the land before time. It's Manasse Balagamir, Manasse Balagamir, uh, my friend Jumont. Uh, please introduce yourself. I, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, it's very much a pleasure to be here with you, uh, Asteris. Uh, I've really always looked at forward uh, to having a conversation like this uh, with you so uh, I'm really just looking forward uh, to today's uh, subject. Excellent and if you're listening um, via your local podcasting app whether it be I will say no names Anchor, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Overcast whatever you're listening on it may sound a bit gargled and that's because I'm here with Manus on the Google Duo app. We are not sponsored by Google Duo, but it works well enough if my Wi-Fi was faster than six megabits a second at the moment. So, you know, but it's whatever. Manus, what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, today we're actually uh, talking on a pretty uh, interesting topic, I think, to say the least. We're going to be talking about why so many of us are addicted to uh, binge-watching television shows. Indeed. Indeed, brother. So I mentioned one of them that's that's fairly recent, right? When did it come out? 2019, right? You came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, For those who haven't seen you, will you please explain the uh, sort of the concept of you? Yeah, so (laughs) this is quite a... I don't... It's... It's a show in which, uh, so there's this charming, uh, charismatic uh, character, uh, Joe, mm-hmm. who's the main uh, main character in the show, but it's basically a story. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if there's really any objective, if it has any objective or goals. There's a lot of social commentary through it, mm-hmm. but basically it's this uh, psychopath of a guy. He's charming. Um, he works at a, initially he works at a bookstore and he meets uh, this very attractive girl. Her name is Beck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the first moment on, he has sort of this affinity with her. At first, so, as a viewer, you might think that it's very innocent-like, but uh, very soon afterwards, you get to see that Joe is, in fact, uh, a stalker. Mm-hmm. And he... He, he really he abuses uh, his her her rights, I would say, and he does it in very I would say very petrifying uh, ways. Okay. Which, yeah, so yeah. Okay. Um, I I do like the way that you describe shows better than I. I would have started off with the fact that he is a serial killer. 
Um, he killed several people in order to first get Beck. He killed her, um, one of her lovers, one of one of a few lovers, because she's a she's a young woman in 2019, 2020. Um, we understand that that women are are not beholden onto one man just because he stalked her and coerced her into liking him doesn't mean he is the only partner she can have. So before that, though, he killed her boyfriend uh, or someone who she considers her boyfriend. He considers her just another girl. Um, killed him, obviously. Took his phone, hid it away, whatever serial killers do. Uh, burned his body, uh, collected his teeth, which is something that we'll talk about later in the episode. Why um, serial killers in, in, in cinema and uh, I guess streaming now, it's not even cinema, are so cliche in keeping uh, paraphernalia from their crimes that are bound to get them caught. And so they have to commit another crime. But yeah, so Joe killed her. Well, spoiler alerts ahead. Manus didn't spoil anything, but I'm just going to ruin the whole show. So, um, Joe basically kills her ex-lover, then slides in for a date, a few dates. They have a nice little kiss, but then while he continues to stalk her to make sure that she is liking him as much, he witnesses her. She's still on Tinder. Why not? Um, she is having relations with another man and he is like, oh, I almost have you back. I can wait for you, which is uh, a bit, um, presumptuous. Firstly, that he's assuming that she only wants to be with him. Secondly, it's, it's hopefully problematic. Uh, firstly, he's a stalker. And, um, luckily that young man who she met on Tinder does not live very close, and he was only a one-time deal, so he he got to keep his head, so to speak. Um, and then he goes on a killing spree, uh, not really for fun, but he believes it's necessary. So he kills her friend, who's named after a city of a country. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. Then he finds a new girlfriend who he, he tries to convince himself that he likes. Ah, the most problematic thing, though, Manus, and we'll talk about this specifically, then we'll move on to the next um, topic about binge-watching and why it stratifies us so hard to the screen, uh, stratifies us from our everyday life, and then holds us into the, the audience, so to speak, is the fact that Joe was upset with uh, Beck cheating on him during their relationship, right? He asked if if she had sex with Nikki, uh, well, now it's explicit. I got to mark my podcast as explicit because I said the word sex. Um, but yeah, so he asked if she had sex with Nikki. Obviously, she denied it. You know, they get back together and then he finds out that she did, in fact, uh, have uh, relations with her therapist, Nikki, who was supposed to be there to help with the relationship with Joe, but he misused his power in order to get with Beck. And of course, Nikki is played by John Stamos, the heartthrob, Uncle Jesse from Full House. Um, and nonetheless, Joe is upset, as most psychopaths would be, that his girlfriend cheated on him. Um, 
but what the audience fails to realize, right? Because we have this uh, suspension of belief because it's like, oh, she lied to him. She cheated on him. But what we don't at first realize is the fact that Joe cheated on his girlfriend that he got together with after Beck in order to get back with Beck. And there, there are several scenes. It, it happened at least a dozen times in the supercuts that we see. So that means that he is, in fact, not only a misogynist by virtue of him being a stalker, but he is also a hypocrite because he cheated on his girlfriend and was upset at his ex for doing the very thing during their relationship. What do you have to say about this menace? Well, yeah, you really, you pretty much hit it uh, on the nail, but... Yeah, so in fact, uh, I, he, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's really uh, critical to mention first of all that uh, Beck, she she breaks off the relationship, and obviously he is upset, and and uh, I, I I guess what the directors were really trying to portray is that in the mind of the psychopath, you know, uh, that his actions uh outside of the relationship but uh, they didn't really matter the only thing that mattered was uh the dynamics between uh bank and joe initially so anything that anything else that he did or anything else that she did i think uh, it wasn't really relevant to him it was relevant to the point especially when uh when he found out that nikki cheated on him i mean nikki uh Nikki uh, slept with uh, his girlfriend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, that obviously it destroyed this uh, this illusion that he had built up uh, uh, for his uh, love affair with Beck. So I just think uh, his other what was the, what was the name of uh, the girl that he got with after Beck? See, that's that's the thing, though. That's what I'm trying to say. If me not realizing her name and you not realizing her name proves something about us and our relations to these characters is that we care about Joe more because we know the psychopath's name, but we don't even know the other characters. That's very true. <laughs> I feel like it was a Karen. Karen. Was there was indeed Karen. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is uh, interesting, uh, like you said, how much the focus we have on that and not the other uh, characters. Yeah, the other, the other party that's hurt, but we think, <laughs> oh, Karen got away lucky. She didn't get killed, um, and she didn't, uh, no one she loves got killed because of him, so she got off scot-free. She had a nice boyfriend, um, and that's it. But then we have to bring up Love, the first girlfriend. Love, Quinn. So, yeah, that was definitely unexpected. So we're never going to have more spoiler alerts here. But uh, I, I thought it was everything really unraveled in a dramatic and unpredictable fashion, in which I'm, I'm sure that's really why uh, a lot of people are tuned into this show because of the suspense and obviously uh, the charismatic guy. Uh, I don't know why we have now this uh, affinity with uh, killing and how <laughs> we've really forgotten how um, how much of a cynical thing it is. You know, we've kind of normalized it. And maybe it's just the fact that 
in most of our everyday lives, we don't have to deal with the killing. So it's really out of our consciousness that something like this, things like this actually do occur. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. I, I most certainly agree with you there. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so we move on to love who in and of herself is problematic. I'm going to stop using terms that I used to write in papers as well. We'll talk casually. Um, But we don't realize, right, that that love, because from the perspective of his first meeting in the start of the second season, we see everything from his perspective, right? But it's a multi-cam show. It's, it's, I, I guess it is actually a single cam show, but there are multiple perspectives. So we see it through his perspective up to him uh, being locked in there by his ex-girlfriend, Candace, who is um, dating 40 Quinn, Love's brother. Um, Candace has been pushed over the edge. Um, not because really she was so. not because she's a psychopath, but because um, the man who she thought she could... Um, spend some of her life with turned out to be a psychopath so she tried to run and she was buried because of it she survived um and then we also come here and then we have some people who watch because we've discussed this with other people we've discussed the show and one of our friends said to me well she did cheat on him but i do not feel that justifies him uh, burying her alive no, it most certainly does not. And I there's one point I forgot to mention. Karen, out of all the women in uh, the show, she seemed uh, to be one of the more mature. Yes. I really, and I really, I, I really noticed that point when uh, Joe uh, breaks up with her, how graciously, mm-hmm, and how, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. how mature she is about all of it. Absolutely. Know? Because that's not what he wants. He wants someone he could... Because Karen likes Joe and doesn't dig deeply. I feel as though Joe chooses uh, a bit of a person who has not yet gotten out their juvenile spritefulness um, so that they dig deeper. I feel he he likes the thrill of the chase as well as the possibility of getting caught. That's what I, I think. I can definitely agree with that. <laughs> yeah. But then whenever it gets too close for comfort, uh, he either leaves or he kills. You know, he, he, he wants he wants justification to kill like a, another binge worthy show. Dexter needs justification to kill. However, um, Dexter understands what he is because of his father. Um, Joe desires nothing more than to reject what he is. And, and rejecting who and what he is is what causes him to lash out. It's like bottling up all your rage for 10 years and then somebody pushes you to the edge. You're going to lash out. Except his 10 years of rage builds up in five minutes. Man, I, I thought it was also interesting. So I've been listening to a philosopher. His name is Alan de Bouton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks in one of... Uh, in one of these discussions uh, in front of Google, he's talking about love, and one of the main things that he points out about love, uh, no no pun intended, is that uh, a lot of us in our adult relationships, uh, we look and so 
we look for relationships that provide a, a familiar feeling with mm-hmm. our childhood experiences and especially at the sufferings that we underwent through our childhood and i feel like uh, the directors definitely uh, try to highlight and put that really in display to show um you know obviously with the the frequently going back into his childhood uh with the abuse with his uh, mom and mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. father as well so i think that's uh, another uh, something to really note as well absolutely absolutely and then um to wrap this up uh we could we could definitely talk about the species of love as according to aristotle though they may be considered a bit outdated um so we have multiple words for love in multiple languages other than English, which is why it's kind of clever that the, or I guess very clever that the, the, um, the showrunners chose to name his fourth and final lover love, um, because of the fact that, uh, she loves him and her name is love, but we can see her spirit of love as obsession. She is his, um, his equal, his antithesis. She's unbridled rage while he attempts to hold it back. She lashes out calculated, but he doesn't necessarily have that full control of whenever he does it. She is using him. And then near the end, whenever she's explaining why she killed Delilah and all of this other, other things, she explains that it was not him that noticed her at the um at the food store at the um growers market but it was rather her that put herself in a position where he would notice her yeah so it just goes to really show you that a lot of times a lot of us fool ourselves into uh, thinking we want certain things and then once we eventually I get those things. We realize that it's maybe not uh, what we truly desired. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, that was a that was a decent discussion about that. But now we're gonna go rapid fire rounds, go through things. We describe. We've ruined one show for you, so why not ruin a few more? Um, Menace. What other shows have you been binging recently? We got son. Yeah. Another show that I've re- recently, I don't, I don't know if I can really say binging, but I've been watching it at a pretty um, quick rate. Is Mine Hunters? Mine Hunters. Okay, mm-hmm. just just explain like a brief premise of this. We don't have to go in depth for this. We don't want to ruin everything. Yeah, so Mine Hunter, it kind of relates a little bit to the psychopathic and serial uh, killers that we're talking about in the show. Mm-hmm. You so in this theory, they actually. I'm not sure how uh, historically accurate it is, but they're basically uh, trying to, they're uh, illuminating everything that, um, so the whole process of profiling and the FBI's uh, uh, part in that. So it's really quite interesting. I know a lot of people uh, nowadays, a lot of people nowadays have an interest in psychologists. I think it's even one of the most um sought after majors so it really just goes into into depth i think this was in the 1960s 1970s when the first the the term a serial killer 
was first introduced and how the story behind that and how they went on to interview uh, notorious killers such as uh, Charles Man- Manson, Ed Kemper. So it's it's really intriguing and it's, it's mind-boggling, but at the same time, uh, you can really take a lot of lessons from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we move on to another, and we're going to share a universal theme about this in, in a few seconds. We move on to The Witcher. Have you seen The Witcher yet? No, I have not. I've heard a lot about it, but I've not yet watched it. Okay. So on The Witcher, we have um, a young, a, he's not young, he's very old, an old man who looks quite young, uh, played by Henry Cavill, called The Witcher. Um, he hunts monsters and demons and, and what witches as well. That's why they call him a witcher. Um, and he, he goes around and he hunts all these things. And he was created by witches to basically be the perfect hunter of their kind of witches and warlocks. He has powers. They call him a mutant. So he, he has all the, a lot of abilities and he's pretty resistant to magic himself and he's he's fairly old and yeah yeah so basically i didn't explain anything at all so henry cavill's character hunts witches and he falls in love with a witch sort of and there's the law of a surprise and i i'm leaving this very vague on purpose so you go and watch it because it's a brilliant show um, okay, so what 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 do you think the allure is with this show? Okay, so he is equally a person who kills uh, viciously and has justification for it, as do the previous shows that we've mentioned. So the the the, the theme of most binge worthy shows that we've of all the binge worthy shows we talked about is um, the motif of murder that we can live vicariously through the actions of others. We can be the hero. We can be the sociopath, the psychopath. And we can very well um, identify with the victim. I do feel that you is also a bit problematic in that in that the first victim we actually don't like, Beck's ex-boyfriend or ex-lover, um, because he is a, a very unlikable person. So we're almost happy that he is no longer a part of the situation, that's how we're grasped in to the situation itself. You know? Okay. Yeah. So, basically, we've explained absolutely nothing. So let's keep deep diving, okay? Sex Education. I know you like that show. Let's talk about it. Sex Education. Another. So, I, I guess I've heard this before, that um, a lot of the TV shows that we watch to really like you said to vicariously live our lives up mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. others you know so if a lot of people might be interested in action or drama because they may not get the same uh, elements in their lives so absolutely way to get it without actually uh, doing anything but sex sex education is, is quite interesting it's obviously it's <laughs> Um, it's British. I, uh, it's British, and uh, it's it's just uh, I guess unorthodox. A lot mm-hmm. of the things that occurred through that show, but 
Yeah, it's definitely, I think it's definitely worth watching. It's very educational as the time, but yeah, definitely worth watching. We said, what about kids shows? So we oftentimes binge new shows that are made in a similar style to older shows, um, especially younger generations. So Gen Z and then whatever's younger than us. Um, we, we watch these things and we revel at them. Like, uh, what's a, what's a newer show that's based around, okay, I guess sex education that we mentioned before is pretty good. I remember whenever we were younger, Manus, we watched something called Degrassi, uh, you know, the, uh, a Canadian show could not relate to the, that much at all, you know, things they were doing in, in, in high school, were certainly not happening at my high school, you know, we weren't passing around. Sure. I'm sure somebody was selling weed, maybe even cocaine. We weren't getting jumped in the parking lot and stabbed because, uh, people that were gay people at my school, bro, if anybody was cool, it was them. I mean, if you, if you had to go to a party, they, they were the hookup, bro. I remember some, some of my, some of my best friends, I sound like a racist, don't I? Whenever they're like, whenever they're, I'm not a racist. I have black friends uh, apart from that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But obviously there were some hostilities. There were some racial um, hostilities. There, there was homophobia. I went to high school in, in Georgia, obviously North Georgia, um, Hicktown, USA. So, you know, um, but, Degrassi, our generation specifically, right? And we're not that far apart from younger people. Like our younger sisters probably know what Degrassi is. I know my younger sister watches something called Degrassi Next Class, which is um, a continuation of Degrassi that was bought by Netflix. So it's actually the Degrassi that we know. Some of the characters from it guest star on Degrassi Next Class. And they still got the same principle, you know, so it's like it's 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 really interesting to see what slightly younger people say. I'm not trying to act like a boomer here, but you know, because they do do different things than us a little bit, a little bit. Um, but yeah. So like, how how is it that we can even binge watch shows like you and I said, uh, like Sex Education, that we actually can't relate to? Because how we're almost five years removed from high school. Yet we're still watching shows uh, with high schoolers in it, talking about their sex lives that weren't really relatable whenever we were in high school watching Degrassi, because that seemed a bit superfluous. So how is it that we can relate to a show that's similar, but because we're so far removed from it? How do you think, Menace? Um, yeah, so that, that's definitely an interesting topic, but I feel like... Um... As as many in our stage of life, you know, the young adult era, um, stage of life in which we're now having to deal with a lot more responsibilities than we previously had, especially in, in the high school era, you know. So I feel like those shows are definitely just uh, nostalgia of a time in which uh, people didn't have as many burdens upon them. They didn't have to worry about as many things. They could uh, ease their main focuses or maybe uh, sexual, finding more sexual partners or mm-hmm. having uh, sexual encounters for the first time. And maybe the drama 
at the high school had mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a lot of people get reminiscent on that that stage of life in which uh, they weren't really preoccupied by the same things as they might be now. So Absolutely. that might be one of the reasons to watch it. Okay, okay, that that's that's very interesting. I do. I'm gonna have to think about that as we continue. So, um, Manus, uh, so just a, a brief sidestep. Uh, my dear friend Manus was not in America at the time whenever some of these shows came out. So I might mention them, but he's done he's done enough research. So my man Manus is up on American and mostly Canadian television during this time so it's all good so we have i'm just gonna like super fire off some shows that some of you may recall like life with Derek is about a young a young woman in high school whose mom marries uh the father of a of a guy who annoys her incorrigibly and they have to live together his name is Derek, of course life with Derek. that was a good show um we had darcy's wildlife which was fully unrelatable to me about a young woman who moves from the city to the country um, and her mishaps of living in the country. We have um, uh, Scout Safari about a young woman who moves from the city to the country of South Africa uh, to live with her mother, who is a native. And then it shows her life and the mishaps and her coming to womanhood in a new place that is unfamiliar to her wholly. So that's a coming of age story, which we have a lot of films as well in that uh the edge of 17 uh but book smart um yeah we have a lot of coming of age stories that that we can relate to because obviously we came of age uh, luckily barely we we made it through though uh which references back to uh degrassi of course and then we have obviously sometimes we binge watch um, Another Life, Black Mirror is a big one, um, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, if you have Amazon Prime, which if you do, uh, let me borrow that subscription. Um, we have um, Metal Erlant Chronicles, which is a, uh, a Belgian um, uh, anthology. We have The Twilight Zone, which is an ancient one to, to most of the people listening. But yeah, we have Twilight Zone, and then we have, as I mentioned before, Black Mirror, which people are, you've seen this, people are so enamored with Black Mirror, and they're like, oh, it's the greatest, I've never seen anything like this. I'm like, oh, um, you're you're pretty new to television, aren't you? It's like, wow, Black Mirror is good, don't get me wrong. But once again, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, um, uh, The Twilight Zone. The Outer Limits, all of these anthology series, even the X-Files is similarly similarly constructed, are quite similar to Black Mirror's formula. So we've we've seen the tropes before. It's just more technologically advanced and closer to our generation, so we can appreciate them a little bit better, perhaps. But Manus, tell me, tell me, how do you binge watch a, a science fiction show whenever it is very difficult to relate to the life of someone living on a space station or a spaceship. Yeah, so me personally, I've always been fascinated uh, with science ever since I first I came here. 
to the United States is obviously in uh, in my home country, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and access uh, to as much books and uh, novels and uh, movies and shows and all of that. So when I first came, I was really uh, fascinated by science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess go, going back uh, to your question, it's just, I guess it's the thought of what the future could look like. Because also a lot of times, I, I, I know I'm not the only one that um, feels this way, but uh, people, they're not really content with the reality and we always feel as mm. uh, the past was better okay. or the future okay. is going to be better than what Absolutely. we were currently uh, through. So that might be one of the reasons. Okay, that's a great reason. We have nostalgia and then we have um, the the perceived glory of the future. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And um, yeah, yeah, I know uh, I've mentioned to you before that that I have an extreme fascination of equally to you, um, if not more so, probably not, uh, with like Stargate, Star Trek, um, the X Files. Uh, maybe a tiny bit, but you know, it's 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 a light obsession. Uh, but like, I remember the the first thing first thing I saw of Stargate, right? Because Stargate first came out whenever I was born, so obviously I didn't watch it until I was old enough to comprehend what Stargate was. But I was never, I never liked cartoons or animation of any kind. And people who I've went to university with, everyone knows this. I, I don't despise animation, but it, it gets pretty close to, to that. Where um, people would often say, oh, let's watch SpongeBob. And then we both know Khalid would be like, nah, don't, don't put that on, man. You're going to upset him. I was like, I don't get upset. I'll be disappointed. But I'm not going to be mad or anything. And then I leave the room because they put on Spongebob. Uh, (laughs) But it's like, I like seeing real people. But that's also illogical because these are actors and they're not actually uh, Lieutenant Colonel Samantha Carter in the 2008 um, or, um, you know, Colonel Jack O'Neill. Uh, Jonas Quinn. These aren't act Tilk. These aren't actually who they are, right? This is um, Richard Dean Anderson, MacGyver. Um, these aren't actually who the people are, but you could sort of relate to them because they're people doing what humans do: exploration, right? Some people don't like to leave their house, right? But they still explore their mind. They explore their faith, their spirituality. Some people, like myself, want to go to other places very far away, like other planets, uh, which is kind of bizarre because there's no guarantee I'd be able to survive. But um, yeah, but I do remember that one thing I always notice about science fiction is that it, it sort of predicted the future. But then as I started to look at it more deeply, like the original series of Star Trek, it was actually just... Um, repeating the past. So uh, I remember whenever I was about seven, I was watching a uh, an original series episode with uh, William Shatner. He was on this planet that it was like the 1920s and then people would be filled with rage and then they would commit acts of violence, um, uh, unspeakable acts. It was like the purge, right? And then I realized, oh, wait, 
They're probably dressed like the 1920s because there were race riots in the 20s uh, until now, really. So whenever we say, oh, look, Star Trek predicted um, uh, the Char- uh, Charlottesville or whatever, right? It's like, well, they really just repeated the past inside of an episode and we're looking at it as a prediction, right? We have um, We have my favorite of all time episode. Uh, the Next Generations, uh, The Inner Light, which a lot of people who like Star Trek will know this, right? I'm I'm kind of showing my fandom right now, so I need to calm down. But the the inner light, the inner light is uh, when Jean Luc Picard, obviously the captain of Enterprise, uh, is transported through a probe to a planet, and he lives as a Resican man, and he has a friend. His name is Bataille. And then he tries to convince him that he's not from this planet. And he lives out his life as this man because eventually he's convinced that it's not. And then the probe, uh, turns out he is on the probe. He hasn't been transported through time and space and whatnot. But it's a program that is the guy's life inside of the program. And he was telling them that their planet was dying and everything. No one was listening. And then he comes out. His grandkids tell him to come out to see the, the probe being launched. And they tell him that the probe that he's watching being launched is the probe that sent him to this place. So it's like sort of breaking down the fourth wall for him. Um, And that the planet died, but no one listened to the original uh, person who he was, to the original whose body and life he's now has. Um, So it goes to show you that if we look at sci-fi, we, uh, we can predict what is likely to happen. So they didn't regard climate change on that planet. Uh, the Resicans didn't regard it as being legitimate, and we see that our politics do not um, necessarily align with climate change these days. But I fear that it may be too late, that Artemis might not be a mission to the moon, but rather another Voyager experiment to send out our um, the memories of humanity. Uh, Manus? Yes, yeah, so... Uh... So one of the things that I actually caught on to what you were saying um, is that it made me actually think about this is the uh, simulation hypothesis uh, proposed by Nick Braun uh, I think that's his name. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Uh, yeah, but uh, I think a lot of his work has been used uh, for um, science fiction uh, movies and books and all of that. But it really just goes back to what you said about... Um, history uh repeating itself and i'm not sure if a lot if a lot of uh listeners might know this but uh in this simulation hypothesis uh nick uh, basically says that we're living in a computer simulation in which uh basically uh where hundreds of uh, years uh evolved now and uh, basically uh we're living in a simulation in which those those ahead of us put in place so it kind of i guess uh, obviously uh, this is just a theory in itself but it's very i think obviously i'm not an astrophysicist or a physicist not yet not yet not yet but it's just really interesting because this idea that you said that history uh does intend uh, does usually uh, repeat itself mm-hmm. and that really just gets me back to the point that 
a lot of us a lot of us think that we're unpredictable but i think a lot as science has begun to show over the years that a lot of our behaviors are very much uh, predictable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. therefore what we did in the past and many times i uh, can really show show us what we're going to do in the future obviously uh we have this concept of free will I, i think it's much more it's limited free will that we have in which we can see uh probable futures and then we have uh we have uh, the limited time in between uh, to make a decision but yeah it is going to be those decisions that enable us to change uh, the futures that these uh, sci-fi movies uh, basically uh, predict so Absolutely. i thought it was, I, was, i thought it was really interesting mm-hmm. that part that mm-hmm. and um if if the audience would like to we can jump back to a previous episode of in defense of humanity that Nehemiah Johnson and I did with a um a professor before and um yeah yeah because Jonathan Davis professor Jonathan Davis mentioned that we can accurately predict how the climate will affect the world um because humans usually maintain their positions right like you can't expect to change the position of an 80-year-old conservative or an 80-year-old liberal right 80-year-old liberal that'd be impressive um <laughs> but nonetheless uh, nor could you expect to change your parents opinions because they all they can do is look at you and see you as a child that they raised revolting against them um and who who doesn't share the same belief system they feel an ad hominem attack they feel they're antagonized and perhaps soon i'll have um a brilliant uh philosopher on dr dickman uh manus you know dr dickman yes uh, yes dr uh, dickman perhaps we'll have him on cuz he can talk about these subjects far better than i ever could um but we we have these predictions oh this will happen to the climate and they say but what if it doesn't and it's like the only way these things won't happen is if magically everyone on the planet changes their belief system and i don't mean a religion i mean that whenever we say we care about the environment and we're driving a a massive truck to work for no reason if we just go like hey you know what i'm not doing it anymore you know or we're like Yeah, I care about the environment. Cool. I'm going to stop flying first class and just flying to fly places just because I want to. Or cool, I'm going to stop buying bottled water. If everyone made the change immediately, then then we we could be straight. We could be all good. But that's the thing about these predictions. It accounts for people not changing their minds. Because we won't uh for the most part now of course there are some people that are changing greta thunberg is is doing good work as well as all the other climate change sea shepherd um so many climate change organizations but the the sad fact is pundits of the extreme right the far right are not going to listen they think they know better um they they have more money than us they have more power than us So what they say goes because we live in a capitalist system. Now I'm no I'm in no means condoning communism because they're going to use this uh podcast against me later in my life. So but what I am saying is uh older generations 
are are less likely to listen to younger generations because they think we're naive. And we're not innocent from this because we do the same thing to, to younger people. And we will be in the same position whenever, as we talked about yesterday, if if my granddaughter was telling me that she wants to marry an alien, you know, we'd probably have a little bit of prejudice. I like to think I wouldn't, but to be honest, I probably would. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? On your granddaughter marrying uh, an alien? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, on the older generations and the younger generations with climate change. Not my oh, granddaughter. Yeah. But this all of this really just makes me uh, get back, uh, not get back, but really remember um, the, not the fact, but just really the idea that a lot of us, we've grown up, uh, we've really began to form uh, the world around us, not as, not as what it really is, but just uh, based on our beliefs. And obviously a lot of everyone's beliefs that come from uh, the older generation, their mm-hmm. parents and all. So the older generations, they were taught one thing. And this newer generation now, with, we have a lot more, um, a lot of us have better access uh, to uh, better education and knowledge and all that. All of us, are, most of us are really pretty much aware of all the impacts that climate change has on our futures mm-hmm, and obviously mm-hmm. it's, it's our futures we're the ones we're still in our uh 20s uh teens 30s 40s uh, we still have a pretty yeah. long future especially with all the science and technology that's mm-hmm, helping mm-hmm. to extend our lives so we have much more to lose than the older generations so. absolutely and um thank you manis and as we know what this podcast is called in defense of humanity I'm going to play the devil's advocate real quick. So an often used defense of the argument that climate change is a falsity is that I've lived uh, three times longer than you. I've seen whenever we've had cold spells and whenever it's extremely hot. This is just uh, weather with variable change. You've only lived for 20 years. So, of course, you think it's gotten warmer over your lifespan. Uh, What does it matter? how do we defend against this argument? Because it it's an appeal to authority, and it, it to any um, person who's not analyzing the argument for what it is, it does sound like a good formulation. Yeah, it, it does indeed sound like a good formulation until you realize the fact that most people, even in America, are very much uh, scientific uh, illiterate. They don't mm-hmm. understand. They can't really comprehend a lot of the science that's going on. And obviously, like you said it before, with the right wing of really with the disparity between the political parties and news media, obviously Fox News, CNN, all of those are polarizing mm-hmm. uh, ideas. It's really hard to to believe uh, what's true and what's not. And it makes it even harder. You yourself, you can't. You don't have a method of authoring up knowledge, of analyzing and disseminating that information uh, by yourself. So this, this appeal 
to authority, I don't think it's very, it's, I don't think it's very strong uh, appeal. So these people from the older generations are stating all of this. I think now the trend is that people are, fun, they are we are becoming more scientifically uh, literate, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's still not where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do, I do, in fact, agree with you, of course. Um, and yeah, I, I feel that a lot of it's bearing on, uh, as you said, scientific illiteracy um, and party line affiliations. Uh, we can always take it back to the bipartisan nature. Um, we need not look any farther than our media at the moment. I've, I was watching Hulu earlier even though I should have been doing something more productive. And I got three advertisements from three different uh, uh, right-wing party uh, senators who are campaigning and saying, let's end this impeachment nonsense. Uh, We need to focus on developing jobs, our economy, and uh, we have actually funded uh, BP and Exxon in their biofuels, which sounds like, they're doing good things for the environment, but the, you listen to the other things they put first, and then they put biofuels last. Secondly, I don't care if fuel's grown from algae or dino poop. It all burns the same, and it all uh, cl- puts clouds in the air. So. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you said it exactly right. It's just... Um, a lot of us, we just align ourselves uh, to the security and comfort that we get from these affiliations, whether it's the Liberal Party, uh, them, uh, the Republican Party, and anything that they say it goes, you don't have really much thought outside of it. So it's a mm. very good point. Indeed. Uh, you, um, Manus, I think you uh, showed your affiliation a little bit whenever you said Liberal Party and Republican Party. Uh, so, uh, hey, we're even here to defend Manus, even even if he doesn't necessarily agree with everyone who listens to the podcast. But let's be honest, we, we know that one of those parties is highly unlikely to listen to this podcast. Manus has some interesting things to say about our previous discussion. Go ahead, Manus. Yeah, so the next really big uh, proposition that I have it to... Uh, maybe a reason to why a lot of us seem to engage in a lot of binge watching is mm-hmm. uh, I feel like with the jobs, with our, with our sedentary lifestyles, our jobs in which we're glued to screens all day, you know, obviously there's been a, a lot of advancements in, in the last couple of eras, you know, technology and all that. They've really uh, increased our quality of life but they've also i feel like they've separated us from uh, ourselves and uh reality reality as well and I feel a lot of that has led to uh feelings of alienation depression and anxiety as well mm-hmm. and these these tv shows that we watch a lot of them are kind of uh transient uh transient feelings in which we can try to 
in which, like you said, vicariously uh, live out these things that don't actually occur occur in our real lives. Wow. I don't feel like we have the same uh, social uh, bondings that we once had before, in many places at least, not everywhere, but in many places. This seems to be um, the case. And then obviously with the technology and the communication, a, lo- a lot of people, they, I don't feel like they really get to know each other anymore we don't have in a lot of intimacy a lot of the intimacy that we might have it comes uh, through the phone or through the email so that's just uh, that's just enough i think a lot of shows try to touch on this as well but obviously they, they don't help because then the people get addicted to the shows absolutely that do talk, <laughs> that do talk on the subject so yeah yeah that was good, man. And I, you know, I could I could talk about Homie Baba, Soren Kierkegaard with anxiety, and Homie Baba with um, alienation, Franz Fanon. But we're not going to, because everybody knows I'm boring whenever I talk philosophy. So maybe next time, um, Manus, do you have any final words? Uh, not that you're gonna die tonight or anything. But... No. Um... I guess uh, I'm really just grateful, first of all, uh, to be on on this podcast and to try to convey a message. I know I maybe I can't articulate things as well as I would like to, but I hope uh, that mm-hmm. I did convey some sort of, of course. message. We all have that problem. Uh, for the best or for the worst, but I talk to uh, the listeners. But yeah, it's definitely been a good experience. Absolutely. I'd like to thank you for being on the podcast. I'd like to apologize to our listeners for this garbage audio. Uh, Manus's voice actually doesn't sound like C-3PO. It's just the <laughs> fact that we're uh, conveying this through the Duo app. And I'm in the middle of the woods, so you probably heard a lot of wind. Uh, I do, in fact, live in the sticks. So, um, yeah. Well, that's in defense of humanity. Uh, we're here to defend humanity uh, once again. If you want to be on the show, DM me on Instagram or um, actually I probably won't be available in a couple weeks, but DM me nonetheless. And whenever I am available nine weeks later, hint, I will answer it. Um, Everybody, uh, if you have the ability, go find Manus Balagamir on his social media. Manus, what is your social media? Uh, On Instagram is ManusB underscore. Manus B underscore, uh, M A N A C E B underscore. That's right. And for me, if you don't already know my Instagram, we're not real friends, but if you don't, we can be friends. It's the underscore arthritis. That's right. Arthritis. Okay. Thank you, uh, for joining us again, Manus Balagamir. Um, Et euh, merci à tous. Euh, vous, euh, vous êtes incroyable et, et mon ami, euh, vous êtes le, le seigneur de les mots. Et merci, mon ami. Ah, bien sûr, bien sûr. Okay. And that's it. That's it for In Defense of Humanity. Goodbye. <laughs>